podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. So here it is, Op. Here it is. The worst case we will ever cover. The top of the mountain. I figure if we do this one, all bets are off. You mean that the show might be canceled? No, that it opens up a doorway to a whole new level of cases that we can cover. Because before, I've kept it pretty, despite how bad some of the cases are, in comparison to true crime, not the worst of the worst. Not the most grotesque. This is it. This is the apex predator of... If you want to use that those two words all I the time. I love using those words. Yeah. I love them. That's your favorite set of words. Now, I don't normally do trigger warnings. I think they're stupid. Yeah. But I will say on this one, this will be a first for TCK, I think. I don't think I've ever done. I've made jokes about trigger warnings before. But if you're prone to sending angry messages when you get too bothered by something, go ahead and turn this off. Because I don't want to yeah. hear it. Because I don't care. Yeah. Also, it's funny how how like easily the word trigger rolls off your tongue. It's like, say it again. Trigger? <laughs> Sounds like you've said that a bunch in your life. Say it again. Trigger? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I usually say trigger. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because... I, I we were like a minute and a half in, and I thought we're getting canceled. But you said trigger. Oh, I okay. usually say trigger. Yeah, I didn't know. Okay, that's better. We're, I we're have okay. avoided in the past covering cases where children are harmed because it bothers me. I don't I don't like covering cases uh, where kids are harmed. That's why I did the Anhill Kids prior to this, so that the audience could at least get a small dose of it. Because with that in mind, I need to point out. Nothing but children are getting ready to get harmed in this series. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children, so many children, countless amounts. Not a single animal, though, so it should be fine. Everything should be good. Anytime I do a true crime case where an animal gets harmed, I get like nine hate mail messages. I get negative reviews, even though a man was, you know, hung up by his ankles and disemboweled and then eaten. It's like, yeah, but the, the Doberman was killed. Yeah. No animals harmed in this one. Not a single one. Not everybody's one. Gonna, they'll, they'll be fine. Everybody's going to be fine. Do you think, um, is it safe to say that this is going to get child harm cases out of your system and we'll move on to... I mean, I'm sure there'll be more in the future, but there won't be any more in the future as bad as this one. I wanted so this, to go to the fucking top of the mountain apex i wanted to go to the top of the mountain both in terms of a human being being as close to a monster as one can possibly be and both that and in the grotesqueness of the crime off the front one thing i want to say here is i want everybody to keep something in mind as we do this case was he really a monster or was he just misunderstood and we'll get into that but i think maybe he was a monster I mean, he ate children. It was his favorite meal. Again, I'm just going to press it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, it's too early in our seven, 732 part series on. It's too early to judge. One. Yeah, you don't want to judge early. a book by its cover. And this uh, cover I, is made out of child flesh. But let's not judge a book. Well, I don't want to no, judge the book too early. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. 
I've taken a couple uh, Dramamine. And I made sure I'm on an empty stomach other than Dramamine. Yeah, and you better fucking have your cassette tape of your favorite church hymns on standby because it's going to play half this episode. Okay. I also want to say, before we get started, that I'm very proud of this episode. Not not in the content, but in the amount of research that I did on it. This is the first episode that I logged the hours on research-wise. And I put a total of just a little over 71 hours of time into writing the outline for this series and researching 71 hours. And that's the most I've ever done of any um, episode. And if you're familiar with Albert Fish, then I promise you, you'll probably hear, I promise you, you will probably, that's a, uh, I think that's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Absolute statement. An app, an app, not guarantee. What is it when one thing contradicts the other? Double entendre. Double entendre. Double entendre. That's that's from a rap song, but yes, a double on. I don't think that's the word. That's not it. But I, I almost guarantee you'll find you'll hear some new stuff. That's weird. Did you say seventy one hours? Seventy one hours. Huh, that's weird because I can get a nine one one calls episode out with only about five hours of research, and I can do an extraterrestrials episode with only none research, and I can come here and spit hot coin facts with only my brain as a search engine. But seventy one. That's a that's really good, buddy. Hmm, weird flex. Three books were used. Very weird flex. Truth. And it shows in the episodes. <laughs> Scorch pal. Scorch pal. Three books were used for this. I want to cite my uh, sources here. Three books. Confessions of a Cannibal by Robert Keller. Deranged by Harold Schechter. And Albert Fish, in his own words, by John Borowski. Doesn't sound like his own words if... John wrote the book. Yeah, that, that's kind of misleading, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. Uh, I read these books in that order as well, which ended up being perfect for writing the outline because of how each of them are written. They're in a very different styles. Confession of a Cannibal is more of a general reading, doesn't have a lot of the gory details, but gets the story across in a straightforward and time-linear fashion, which is the way I like to do episodes. So it was perfect for writing the bones of the outline. Uh, deranged by Harold Schechter is super in-depth, a bit more of a heavy read, kind of bounces back and forth like a Quentin Tarantino movie time-wise, but it was perfect for filling in the meat of the outline, no pun intended. And Albert Fish, in his own words by John Borowski, was perfect for filling in the like little bits of details and stuff. Everything is basically in Albert Fish's own words, for the most part, as well as a lot of the doctors that examined him, um, a lot of paperwork, a lot of letters that he had mailed, a lot of stuff like that. So if you want to read more into into this case after we're done, this is going to be a three-part series. I recommend one of those books, depending on what it is you're particularly interested in. My favorite, honestly, was probably The Albert Fish in His Own Words by John Borowski because a, a, a huge chunk of it was written by Albert Fish himself. Mm, sounds like hyperbole since it, the name, just let's go ahead and say it right now. The only other disclaimer we're giving you is it it was written by another guy, but it's called in his own words. So I think we should clarify that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, I also used about 20 million old newspaper articles, like usual. And like I said, this is by far the most time-intensive and in-depth episode of TCK that we have written to date. I, I will say one thing is I like the fact that you don't put a lot of hyperbole into, like, the things that you say or, or the things you, you know, in your episodes – 20 million, huh? That's a lot of articles. 
20, okay, so realistically, 20, uh, I didn't use 20 million. It was probably 431. Oh, that's a better number. It's 431. Uh, yeah, that's, that's um, verifiable, too. With so, that being, I'm glad we got that out. Thanks for clearing that up there, Op. You bet. I got a question. Yeah. Who is the creepiest person you've ever come across? Who's a guy that you just got... And I don't mean like you knew they were creepy. I'm talking about who's a guy that you came across that you just got bad feelings from. They didn't give you necessarily a reason why to feel that way. They didn't do anything. They didn't say anything. You just got bad juju from the dude. My business partner in our in in our, my in RV. Eleven fifty nine media. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't. I'm not that weird. I, I feel like I'm not. <laughs> I had an you, RV. You just say it, bitch. <laughs> I had an RV training company where pe- we would train people who just bought an RV how to actually use it without burning it down or driving it like a missile down the freeway. Because everybody that buys an RV, those giant bus ones are 93, and there's no extra training or anything. You could, If you have a driver's license, you can just go buy one. Yeah. And that's scary. So I created a training company. Where we would do driving instruction and it was like online courses and all kinds of stuff. And, um, my business partner in that, in that, uh, business gave me that feeling. Just, you just didn't like him, but you didn't know why. Yep. Did, did anything ever come out later? Yeah, actually, he's, uh, sitting in a jail cell now pending, uh, trial for, um, I think it's, 18 counts of illicit acts with a minor. Oh, because of his it's daughter. so weird you say that. Yeah, because daughter. you knew something about, you just knew. Right? I did. Well, and it was never, here's the thing is you rewind on something like that and you, you remember little things and you're like, that's kind of weird. Like, I remember I was over at their house. I've, I was over at their house a lot. And so, but it was weird the way that they, the two of them interacted. Like, she was 16 and he'd like have her come sit on his lap and yeah. they'd joke and stuff. But, and it wasn't, you know, I would have been like, dude, no. And I would have ran out if it, it was anything questionable. But it was just like, it was just over the line on like what seemed like normal banter and, you know, playfulness between a father and daughter. Boom, what do you know? <laughs> oh, it was his daughter? Yeah. Oh, she was sitting in his lap at 16? Yeah, he, he yeah, you kind of had to, yeah, you, like I, I said, don't you kind of have to there. know him. You, you, <laughs> the guy, you just said, how many charges of eliciting sex from a minor? 18. 18. Can't, what, what point is it where I don't have to know him? Uh, how okay. many counts? 20? I don't know the best way to put it. It, it. Okay, it was like Santa. It was like Santa. You know when an older kid sits on Santa lap and you're like, oh, that's cute. But in your head, you're also like, that's creepy also. It was like that. There wasn't anything untoward going on at that very moment. But you're like, I wouldn't do that with my daughter. Nope. You know? Yeah. 18 counts. Now. That's, that's too many. Stemming over, I, w- I want to say it was like an eight-year period or something like that. That is way too many counts. He got out on bail. Anything uh, over like five, I'm like, fuck that dude. Exactly. And that was where my threshold was. And thir- 18, I was like, nope, can't. 
I got to stop doing business with you is what I said. Yeah. Good on and you. I did. I did. I did. And you got still friends. How many counts before you stop being friends? Well, they started creeping up. You know, it was like, you know, first it was like first first conviction or whatever charges were like five counts and then seven counts. And then it was like a month later and they stacked on more. And at that point I was like, hey, I need to just have you come away from the whiteboard for a minute and we need to address the elephant in the room. Yeah. Little bitty elephants, a bunch of them. Lots of creepy little elephants. And then, you know, we did. And then I, I left and he, he went to jail. Actually, no, I, I had already quit working with him and, and then, then the cops got him. So. Well, for me, it was, I was working in a factory and there was this guy that they st- that started there. And I talked to him for about seven seconds. He came up, and I don't know why. He didn't say anything out of the way. Didn't say, didn't do anything, but he, he talked to me for a moment, turned around and, and looked at, and walked away. And I looked at my buddy that was standing there and I said, I don't like that guy. <laughs> and didn't say anything weird. Didn't say anything weird. I just, something in my gut, I just, something was off, dude. Something. He didn't like come up to you and he's like, hey, and like fiddled your giblets. Or nothing anything. like that. I mean, I would have probably been more comfortable with him if he had just slapped me in the nuts. I'm like, yeah. okay, this is a smoke pit, buddy. Like, exactly. But no, nothing like that. Just something was off. And I, like I said, I looked at my buddy. I was like, I don't like that guy. And not even like three months later, he's also getting charged for child pornography. Ah, uh, see, there's something about it. There's just something. And I don't know what it is, but I feel like most of the time anyway, you can just smell it on them. I hope not. Ooh. They just smell That's, like beanie it's... babies and whatever blues clues smells like. <laughs> Someone got an infraction. Someone got an infraction. Someone got an infraction. I wonder what it's for. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the main topic of today's episode and the next two parts, the next three, this is going to be a three-parter. Um, Albert Fish, for a lot of people, he didn't give off that vibe somehow. And that's odd to me when you get into how he socially interacted with people. We'll get into that later. But he was able to fool so many parents and, uh, and members of society into thinking he was just a polite um, old man. When he was an old man, he didn't – whenever he was like 11, he didn't fool people into thinking he was a polite old man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. They were like, that's a polite young man. <laughs> no, that was – But before we get into what is Albert Fish, I want to say that <clears throat> in one of the episodes, I made a lot of fun of Mike Boudet and how he says in the um, intro to Sword and Scale – Something about monsters, the real monsters are, what does he say? He says, over town and under town and inside all the bridges, everyone knows there's monsters around and that's what makes us itches. I think, is that what he says? Didn't you work for, no. How do you even? Sure. 
Something like that. Oh, I think what he says is, Welcome back to episode 98. I bike boudet. Sword and skills. Score bad speed. But he says something about monsters. He does. And I made jokes. I was like, the monsters don't exist. And it turns out, I think that if ever there was a human being that has walked the face of this earth, Albert Fish was probably closest to what we consider a monster. Yeah. While still being a human being. And with that, let's get in a little bit. In order to understand Albert Fish, you need to know a little bit about his family. So before we even get into the demented, senile, depraved train wreck that was Albert Fish, let's get into his genetics. There was a history of mental illness in the Fish clan long before Albert Fish even came along. Religious mania was a recurring trait in his family. Uh, One of his uncles, Ezekiel Fish, who died in 1877, just seven years after Albert was born, um, like I said, he suffered from religious mania and ended up going to an institution. One of his brothers was eventually confined to a mental state hospital. His sister, Annie, was eventually diagnosed with a mental affliction in 1900 at the age of 35 years old after she had seen a peddler fall in front of a horse-pulled wagon while she was hanging laundry one day. The wheels of that carriage crushed the man's skull, like crushed his head flat, like Looney Tunes, like the Uh. way, you know, it just left the, you know how horse carriage wheels are skinny? Yeah. It just like, almost like cut his head in half because all the weight was over such a small point. Yeah, like all the videos that uh, you can watch on the internet of of moped riders in Asia getting crushed by... And there are so many of those? There really are. There's too many. I don't even click on them anymore. I don't either. I I know what happens. Yeah. Once you've seen it seven times, you've seen it 7.1 billion times. Yeah. So that's what she's out hanging laundry one day. His sister, Annie, 35 years old. It's the year 1900. She's hanging laundry one day. She sees this man's head get crushed by this horse carriage. And it ended up driving her mad. She was never right after that. Ended up turning into a maniac because of that experience. Now, I would argue that if that drives you to that point, there, there was probably it was all you were probably already on unsteady foundation. Do we know what exactly what it was that that threw her off, like threw her into a tizzy? Did she see that and then she was like, "Oh, it's the year 1900." I don't think it was that. It was the year 1900. Oh. Like, so you think it might have been topical? It was, it was probably like the head crushing, oriented. the guy's head flattening in front of her, right in front, watching somebody lose their life. Right, it was she was PTSD'd into madness rather than date specific mania. Yes, it didn't have anything okay. to do with the date. Mm. I don't think in my research it didn't have yeah. her madness. Didn't wasn't date related. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I was just reading along with your script here, and there wasn't a comma. You said his sister Annie was diagnosed with a, quote, mental affliction in 1900 at the age of 35 years old. There wasn't a comma there, so I thought that there was more emphasis on 1900. I'm sorry. I, I, it was a grammatical error of yours. I apologize. Okay, so we can carry on, on then. Yep. Sorry. I'm sorry about your... Sorry. Sorry. Even his mother... <sighs> had auditory and visual hallucinations. This is his mom. She's seeing and hearing shit. She has the one-two combo. Now, you can have one or the other. But if you're going around life 
talking to Babe Ruth and seeing him, that's a wrap, Bubba. That's a wrap. You can talk to Babe Ruth or you can see Babe Ruth. You can't do both. Especially in 1900 because Babe Ruth wasn't wasn't uh, and that makes famous. it even weirder. Yeah, he was born February sixth, eighteen ninety five. So he was only five years old. Not even a professional baseball player at this point. So it's weird that they're going around and seeing Babe Ruth. Pete, anybody is a five year old Babe Ruth at old. this point, an unimportant child. Yeah, and she keeps asking him for his autograph, and he's like, beep, boop, beep, boop, boop, because he's five, he can't talk. Beep, boop. Like Albert's that. frothing in the mouth at the corner. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. His mother's half brother, Albert's uncle, man's name was Leander Howard. His whole life was summed up in an old document that I found from 1934 that said, quote, went out west to prospect for gold, buried mon- money under an old tree, came back two or three years later. Couldn't find the tree and became a raving maniac. Died in Redwood, California in an institution. Unquote. That should be a trip that we take to try to find Leander's meandering fortune. Under some tree somewhere. And he's like a much more depressing version of the fat kid in Stand By Me who couldn't find his pennies under the porch. Yeah. <laughs> probably made less money because that kid at least was on a movie and probably got actor pay that kid grew up to be jerry o'connell fun fact i don't know if people know that that's jerry o'connell i like him a lot he's solid jerry o'connell seems like he might be in that category of people nobody doesn't like him yeah and i said he grew up to be jerry o'connell like he wasn't jerry o'connell then but he was always jerry o'connell he didn't he he didn't like evolve into a jerry o'connell he was was born as even when he was that fat kid in stand by me he was still jerry o'connell yeah. Look up. What I'm saying is Albert Fish was kind of fucked from the get go. He from the time he slid out of his mother's vagina, who, by the way, was probably busy talking to the walls when little Al crawled out. He was fucked. Gross. We know that mental illnesses are oftentimes hereditary and he had them coming from every fucking direction. Is it going to get worse than your visual description of him being born? Yes, it's going to get so much worse. <laughs> Albert Fish was born in Washington, D.C. on May 19th, 1870. Under the 1870! I wonder if his mom said that when he was born. She was like, yeah. No, she was talking to the walls. Yeah. Her vagina opened up (laughs) like a Venus flytrap. And coughed out this little cracker kid, this little cracker baby. Stay engaged. Stay engaged. And then it closed back. Stay engaged. Because that's the way something like Albert Fish has to be born. From a vagina that opens up like a, this isn't a normal child. This grows up to be an absolute animal. So I would imagine the vagina that births him, it just opens up like a Venus flytrap. And he slides out. It's like if you played Little Shop of Horrors backward. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he's born in Washington, D.C. on May 19th, 1870. His birth name, though, isn't Albert. It's Hamilton Fish. Really? He was born as Hamilton Fish. We'll get more into why it was changed a little bit later. But yes, his birth name, Hamilton Fish. 
Now, he was born in a middle-class family. He was the youngest of four children. He had two older brothers named Walter and Edwin. And Walter will come into play here in a moment. And one older sister, Annie, the one that ended up going to a mental institution and after seeing the man run over by the wagon. His father, yeah. his name was Randall Fish, and he was a riverboat captain and fertilizer manufacturer who was 43 years older than his mother, Ellen. Whoa. And when your dad is 43 years older than your mother, that means you're going to grow up to be one of two things, a child murderer or a stand-up comedian. <laughs> and that's a Theo Vaughn joke. Theo Vaughn's dad was somewhere around that amount of years older than his mother. His dad was 70 when he was born. Oh, what? Yeah, that's a fun Theo Vaughn fact. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Randall, his, his dad, Albert's dad, was 75 years old when Fish was born. And Albert was raised in a little small house between 2nd and 3rd Street on B Street in Washington, D.C. Now, I went through this on Google Maps. That house is long gone. That entire area is now small, little cramped, identical homes. They look like they just hit copy and paste. Just yeah. That Full House house, you know the house from Full House? Big sound and neat, the fans on TV. Hear you old familiar friends hanging hey, just around the band. Bland and ambiguous. Chicken on a new. My heart here the whole song too. And that house is long gone. It's been gone for a long time. This entire area is now just a little cramped area full of little houses. Now, growing up, Albert was a small, sensitive child who didn't talk much. Kind of a little bitch. Oh, so maybe Helen Keller was a little bleep as well. She didn't talk much. How did Helen Keller get... She didn't talk much. She didn't talk. He didn't talk. Much. I don't think Maybe she was Anne sensitive, Frank was though. a little bleep. Maybe Anne Frank was a little bleep. You don't know that Anne Frank either. didn't talk much. Uh, she talked quietly. <laughs> it sounded like a smoker. <laughs> she talked quietly, but I bet she talked a lot. I bet her parents on many occasions went, Will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> You're going to get us all fucking killed. I don't care about Shopkins. <laughs> It's 1940. This, those aren't even invented yet. It's 1940! <laughs> little Albert, even though he was a small, sensitive little bitch, he also had a stutter and was very fidgety. And we all knew a kid like this growing up, always shaking like a cold puppy. Nope. Had dirt on his face 24-7, always wild-eyed, looking around, nervous by nature. Nah. If you remember Andy from the episode when I talked about him have he pooped himself. He was like, "Well, fellas, poop myself. Got to go home." That's what this reminded me of. Andy was that he was very shaky, just a very shaky child, uh, 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 just <laughs> always super nervous. Uh, uh, uh. I never knew a kid like that. Well, that was that was Albert Fish, a sensitive little bitch that Sounds had a stutter and was like Tweak from South Park. <laughs> Albert was also a bedwetter until the age of 11, which is one of the McDonald triads. The McDonald triad, not the McDonald yeah. triad. The McDonald yeah. triad. Large fry. Large fry, Coke. Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Burger. The McDonald triad is bedwetting, which, by the way, for those of you who don't know, the three things that are early signs of a serial killer, bedwetting, fire starting, and harming animals, cruelty to animals. Now, 
Albert Fish did. He was a bedwetter until 11. He never harmed animals that we know of. But he did have an obsession with fire in his later years. So I would assume that that probably developed when he was younger, though we have no documented cases of it. So verified, we have the bedwetter. But unverified, we have at least two of the McDonald triads. But he, he never hurt, hurt animals that we're aware of. Now, years later, as an old man, Fish would say that the only memories that he had of his father, Randall, was what he looked like and that Randall always called him, quote, the stick in the mud, unquote. Because apparently Albert had no sense of humor and just kind of existed. He was a creep from the get-go up, like right out of the Venus flytrap. Slid out as a creep. <laughs> okay. I was trying to give you... A, yeah. I was trying to... I'm trying to balance my jokes versus not saying stuff. And versus it's interruptions. Really hard. Yeah, it's yeah. really hard. I don't know when... I don't want... I, I just keep in my head, you know, your little voice, your high voice? Yeah. Mine is like, this is already going to take forever. <laughs> so, I, I'm... Trying, struggling to know when to say stuff. There's a reason Albert could ve- remember very little about his father, Randall, though. Because on October 16th, 1875, just five years after Albert was born, Randall Fish, his dad, dies of a heart attack at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station in Washington, D.C. Fun fact, this is the same place where President James Garfield would later be assassinated in July of 1888. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of neat. Had a lot of historical significance, right there. A lot of historical deaths. Did he remember that? Did he remember? He did not. No, the only thing he remembered about his father was what he looked like. Said he was about five foot seven, two hundred twenty pounds, kind of a chode. A chode is a like a short, fat dick, right? Kind of a. He was a short, kind of heavy set dude, and so five foot seven, two hundred twenty pounds. He remembered what his face looked like, and he remembered that he always referred to Albert as a stick in the mud. I just have a quick question for you. I need to settle a, settle a disagreement in, in in a vacuum because my wife's not here right now. I don't know anything about vacuums. She said this the other day. She made she she was like, "I'm making the treat," and I'm like, "Yay!" And then I go to the counter, and she's like, "I made pud." She made what? Pud. And I was like, "You mean pudding?" And she's like, "I made pud." I was like, "Stop saying that. Don't say that." She's like, why? What does it mean? I was like, I'm pretty sure it means something, but I don't know. It doesn't sound good. I don't think it means anything, but uh, for whatever reason, that phrase does make me so soft. <laughs> I made pud. I would just be so turned off if I ever heard a girl say it, and I don't know why, because it doesn't even mean anything. But if she no. was like, I made pud, I'd be Especially like. if she was like making eye contact when she said it, like really intense eye contact, like. Well, you might want to go check your panties there. That sounds like Melissa. the way a disabled child would tell somebody they just took a shit. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> like, and she's like, I made pud. I was like, no, you didn't. I made pud. <laughs> what the heck, corn? I didn't have corn for two weeks. <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> Glad we got that off. If the child chest. murdering doesn't bother him, that will. Um... <laughs> Whenever Randall died, dropped dead here at this, he actually didn't even drop dead at the train station. He died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. But for story's sake, we'll say he dropped dead at the train station, which now doesn't make any sense because I've spent more time 
saying that he died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital than if I just hadn't have acknowledged it and moved on. But when he died, he left Albert's mother, Ellen, and her four children, including Albert, alone. Now, his mother, his father was the primary breadwinner uh, up until this point. She couldn't find work while having to care for young Albert, who was the youngest child. And she does something that's that's probably not odd by 1800 standards, but is definitely odd today. While she's looking for work and trying to get their life back together after the death of Randall, she says, going to have to send this one to the orphanage in the meantime. What? Yeah, the 1800s were wild, huh? Just looking at your little... Your little five-year-old and being like, look, honey, mama's got to go find some work. Going to need you to go for a little while and get brutally sexually assaulted. Take you? No, no, I can't take you. Sorry, I don't have time. You're going to have to walk. Here's a map and a carrot. I think that that's, I (laughs) I think that was pretty common, though. Like, they used orphanages sort of like a an extended stay babysitter. Yes, that's what happened here. That's exactly. She's looking for work. She's trying to get their life back on track. And she just, in the meantime, she sends them to an orphanage. A not good orphanage. I should elaborate on that. Oh, no. Yeah, that's how five-year-old Albert Fish ends up at St. John's Orphanage in Washington. And while in that orphanage op... The seeds of masochism begin to get sown. This is where what would probably end up. Now, I've heard other podcasts say that if Albert hadn't ended up in this orphanage, he probably wouldn't have ended up the monster that he was. And I, I agree to that to a certain extent. This is definitely where the foundation was laid for for the brutality and the violence. But I still don't think he would have ended up a contributing successful member of society. Yeah, it seemed like he already had a couple strikes against him. Yes, he did. Now, the I'm going to call them inmates because any old newspaper that you read about St. John's Orphanage, they refer to them as inmates. Really? That's what they called them, yeah. Sad. The inmates at St. John's Orphanage were frequently whipped and beaten brutally. One of the nuns in particular, her name was 30-year-old Sister Sarah. That wasn't her name. Her, her name, name was, was Sister Sarah. Yeah, they said Sarah? she would be like, did you, steal the, did you steal the onions? And they'd be like, no, 30-year-old Sister Sarah. <laughs> weird name. Her name was Sister Sarah. She was 30 years old, but she was uh, the one in charge of the orphanage, and she was especially cruel and violent. According to Albert, later on, he said that she also slept with some of the older boys, um, and by older, I mean the 16 to 17-year-olds at nighttime. And according to him, Sister Sarah uh, was basic. This was basically just Sister Sarah's like little sick playground where she lived out her violent fantasies. It's sort of hot. Is that sort of hot? I don't. Uh, he's five years old. Oh, yeah. Forgot. Well, no, I mean, not for him. But the rest of the, the, the rest, of, it seems like. I mean, like as a, if, I'm, I'm trying to put in my headspace as a 17 year old Kent Chungus. This is like nun role play, I guess, but it's not role play. It's an actual nun that's sleeping with you at the orphanage. I mean, it's kind of hot. I'm not going to go. I mean, if you can, if you want to feel that way, how many counts did that buddy of yours have? How many? It was 18, right? I'm just kidding. 18 counts? I'm just kidding, I think. You gave him that computer, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Now, at the orphanage, Albert was often beaten and 
beaten by the nuns there, but he was also beaten and sexually assaulted by the older boys at the orphanage as well. So they're raping him, and then the nuns are, are beating him. To be fair, these young, these older boys beating and sexually assaulting him probably took his mind off of Sister Sarah from time to time. He was bullied at the orphanage and constantly called, quote, Ham and Eggs as a nickname. His name at this point, keep in mind, still Hamilton. But that will be important later because Albert absolutely hated it. He hated being called Ham and Eggs. He hated it so much. He's like, you can wreck my ass, but you will not call me Ham and Eggs. I hate that. Stop it. Don't call me that. Here at the orphanage, Albert also discovers that he enjoys pain and is also sexually aroused by watching other children there receive punishment and beatings. The children are always beat in front of each other. He loved the screams. That is so important for the remainder of these of the series. This is where he learns that he loves the screams. This will carry on for the rest of his life. Hearing children scream made him so hard. And and hearing children in, in pain and suffering and screaming from the pain, he loved it. It just made him so horny. And now he can only take two career paths. He can no longer be a stand-up comedian. He's either going to be a serial killer or a politician. <laughs> Bazinga. In 1877, at seven years old, little Albert Fish gets his first sexual feeling on one occasion in particular while being whipped by one of the orphanage employees. And with that being said, what was your first sexual feeling? When did you get your first boner? I think I've told you. Have I told you about the gal that that trapped me in a laundry room? No. I was, let's see, rewind. I would have been nine, nine or ten. And I'm at my friend's house, and his dad had remote control airplanes downstairs. Had like he made them, you know. So there's balsa wood everywhere and glue, and it was just a friggin' it was a it was an amazing place to be. And I remember they weren't there. They had a babysitter, and this gal was probably like fourteen or fifteen, and she was sort of like, do you know the Herdmans on the? Greatest Christmas pageant ever. Nope. Show. Don't even know what you just said. Yeah. The Herdman sort of like on the she gr- probably Okay. Did you see uh Stranger Things? I saw season one. Alright. Darn it. I can't really give you a good example then. This girl was sort of like like let's just say this, like Madonna in the eighties. Oh, so like her. every teenage girl in the eighties? Yeah, but she was really, she seemed really excited about becoming a whore. Like the, the two personalities on Teenage Girls in the 80s, I feel like, were Madonna or Goth. Yeah. And hers was Madonna. Anyway, this one time she traps me in the laundry room and it was a mysterious feeling because she was like, you're not leaving here until you touch my boobs. Oh. And I was like, "Horrible! What? What?" <laughs> she tapped me trapped in the laundry room. The, yeah, and you know it. It was it was um, a mental hurdle at that moment. 
that's probably the first time. Did it make you sick? It made me sick. It made me. It was like eighty different emotions all at the same time, and I think that was what made me feel sick. Was it was like it was like every every. It was like the devil and the angels on my shoulder were both like, "I'm out." <laughs> I felt very alone with my judgments and decision making skills. Your first big boy decision. Yeah, and yeah. I was not prepared, and I felt like... Did you touch her boobs? She got paid for that visit, for that... Oh, that was your being, babysitter? Well, it was his babysitter. Oh. Like, I was just hanging out in the, you know, I was just down there with the remote control airplanes and stuff, just hanging out, and she was like, hey, come here for a second. Uh, well, so. back to this, back to beating the children... Yeah. Uh, while beating the children here at this orphanage, they would read from the Bible. So Albert's getting beaten. He's watching other children be beaten. And while these beatings are going on, they're reading passages from the Bible. And this comes into play later also uh, because it's how, in little Albert's mind, religion gets wrapped up in his sexuality. Okay. Uh, we, uh, You know, we've talked about um, on dark topic and brutal and even TCK cases in the past where people's sexuality gets all wrapped up with various fucked up things, right? Because while they're developing their sexuality, while they're starting the starting to get sexual feelings, weird things happen like somebody reading from a Bible while you've got a boner and watching these beatings. And it just all gets clumped up together in this confusing thing that you never can get rid of. You're just fucked for the rest of your life when that happens. Yeah, it's mysterious. Like I've I've tried to put myself into that, not into that mode, but into that frame of mind where it's like, what? Can you think of anything in your mind where it's like there? There's no filter for whether or not your mind should consume the content or not. But it 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 just it, it like there's the, the the trap door in your brain is open, and when that type of visual or that kind of content or or information enters your eyeballs or your brain balls it it just drops right into the sexually attractive bucket. yeah that's like, what that is what it, yeah it seems like a trap door opens for a brief period of time as an adolescent boy yeah and whatever falls into that box that's labeled sex in that very brief window is just stuck there yeah, Forever. and like the recipe, like the a Venus flytrap. In a way, there are a lot of correlations with Little Shop of Horrors in this. Yeah, but yeah, no, I think you're right. Like it's it's weird how the brain somehow says, "Well, whatever you give me right now, in whatever combination, I'm going to associate those things together inseparably with a sexual arousal." You know. Yeah, and 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 it could be anything, and you think about the the world and how kinky and weird it can be. That's it seems like a very human thing to have happen sometimes. You know, that's why I think today's generation is especially fucked because they have the internet. Uh huh. So whenever I was growing up, you know, my sexual preferences are very very pioneerish, <laughs> like. <laughs> Very little house on the prairie <laughs> because I wasn't exposed to anything extreme during my while my trap door was open. Yeah, right. It was just very I would find a playboy and 
naked women. That's what fell into my trap door. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. Maybe I would find a penthouse, and even then, at worst, it was doggy style. You know, yeah. that's what fell. But now, with the invention of the internet, kids, if if they've got a phone, can type in Japanese anal tentacle porn, and it feeds you. The well, results. that trap door is open, and then that, and then four, and then forty years later, they're in Japan trying to buy octopuses off a slat of ice in the market, and hiring a hooker. To go up to a room and they don't understand why. Yeah. Yes. I, I think that that's a, that's a challenge for them. Like, yeah, I mean, for me, oh my gosh, I just realized why I probably get slightly aroused. Around Nutella? And I was so relieved when they finally pulled Sears out of the mall. <laughs> <laughs> you had a Sears catalog. Yeah, but I never thought about why every time I take that corner now that it's not there, I feel like this sense of relief, like I'm completely in control of my own body. You would just be hard the whole time you were walking by Sears. So weird. (laughs) Padded size K bras. And I'm like, what's wrong with my, what's going on with my body? Oh, God, look at that fucking grill. (laughs) Oh. Now, like I said, Albert would often get erection, get erections while watching the other children get beaten and while he was being beaten himself. And on several occasions later, he claimed, while these kids are being beaten, they're naked. It's important to point that out. Oh. They're naked. And Albert would later claim that Sister Sarah, on many occasions, saw that Albert had an erection during the beatings and, and that she he claims she enjoyed it too. So she liked to really beat Albert in particular according to him, because she knew that it aroused him. And so he's insinuating that it aroused her, too. They would take the orphan's inmates, line them up six at a time, strip them down naked, and then beat them with belts and whips. And this this, this in particular, the six-man lineup, the six-boy lineup, was Albert's favorite thing. It was his favorite thing to see. Just rock hard. Just about to pop. Oof. On top of all the beatings and and the uh, molestations and the sexual assaults from the uh, the uh, older boys, um, Albert also sang in the choir there at St. John's. So that's nice. That's nice. That's a fun break. At least in the midst of all this chaos, screaming, bloody, rape, and erections, he got to sing "I Can Only Imagine" by Mercy Me. I can only imagine. Which is weird because that song came out in 1999. So once again, it's weird that they were singing that. Yeah, that's. I can only imagine what my, what my eyes will see if I got to spank that naked boy over there, over my knee. That's I felt borderline sacrilegious because that's actually a pretty surround. Oh no, <laughs> no. Uh, and on the orphanage, before we leave the orphanage here, there's a quote that many podcasts that have done episodes on Albert Fish bring up about uh, him one day seeing uh, some of the boys catch a horse and set its tail on fire. And he said he watched it run, and he said he's that he's like that horse trying to outrun the fire. Albert Fish did not write that. Um, while he was in prison, he got a, a, a another man ghost wrote his autobiography for him while he was in prison. Was it called that his own thing, words? <laughs> no, it wasn't. This was, it was like a little. Th- it was like maybe ten pages. It was for a paper. 
but it's likely that the whole horse with its tail on fire thing was made up bullshit. So oh. we're going to move on. Okay. In 1879, at nine years old, Albert's mother does get a government job at the U.S. Treasury, and so she pulls him out of the orphanage. She doesn't need the babysitter anymore. Yes, she, she brings him home. She's like, hello, son. Good to have you back. How are the rapes? Because that's all that was at the orphanage was rapes and beatings. Yeah. And, and Sister Sarah, who was 30 years old, 30-year-old Sister Sarah. But unfortunately for Ellen, Albert's mother, the damage to nine-year-old Albert Fish had already been done up. It's already done. His his trap door is already closed, and boy, has it caught a lot of shit. Already, already. That's not counting the mental illnesses that he's already been that he's already inherited. Around this time, he's nine years old now. He's back at home. His brother Walter, his older brother Walter, who he was away in the navy from 1876, and he got discharged in 1881. So in this period between 1876 and 1881. His brother, Walter, is coming home on leave from various deployments. And while home, he would tell little Albert stories of cannibalism and murder and torture in faraway lands. Um, and Albert loved this, hung on every single word. It was his favorite thing for his brother, Walter, to come home and start telling him stories of cannibalism and murder and torture. Uh, and it's where the, the seed of cannibalism is planted in, in Albert's brain. And actually, later... While in prison, he blames all of his behavior on his brother, Walter, telling him these stories. He said that's where it's all st- – that, that he blames his brother, Walter, specifically for how he turned out the way he did. Was, was Walter alive – just fast-forwarding and rewinding really quick. Was Walter alive during much of his nightmare life as a killer? Yes. Oh. Yes, he, outli- he outlived uh, Albert. Really? Okay. Yes. All right. In 1882, at 12 years old, little Al, he starts his first homosexual relationship with a telegraph boy. No matter how much I searched, no matter how much I read, I couldn't find out this boy's name. It's not out there. But uh, he starts his first gay relationship with a telegraph boy. And this little telegraph boy, a 12-year-old, by the way, introduces Fish to Eurolagnia. What's that? You know what Eurolagnia is? No. He's drinking a big old glass of hot piss. What? Gross. Yeah, this 12-year-old introduced. 12 years old, he's already into this stuff. And he also introduces Albert to coprophagia. Oh, I don't want to know. Coprophagia? Coprophagia? I don't know how. Coprophagia. Maybe it's coprophagia. 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 So then the other one is urolasia? Urolagnia. No, urolagnia. But anyways, coprophagia is eating shit. Oh. Ooh, like I don't know how I understand the whole trap door thing and stuff, but yeah. that one doesn't. Also, that one doesn't register for me because, like, there are a lot of like TikTok is rife with kids. What? Just hear me out. This is on TikTok. No, just hear me out. TikTok is. No, r- I didn't download that app for a reason. <laughs> TikTok is rife with kids who like. Who will ask each other, they'll like go up to, you know, man on the street kind of thing. They'll be like, what's the worst thing you ever did? Or what's, what's one thing that uh, makes you know that your girlfriend is, is the one? How you know you got a queen? Or all that kind of stuff. And they're like, they're like, if she eats ass. And I'm like, that can't be that common. That can't be that, like, am I right in that poop stinks? It does. Especially if you're in a protein-rich diet. 
And I understand that people can like get, you know, kind of knocked down level by level. Like they can become desensitized to normal sexual behavior and stuff. But yeah, how can that many people that it's like common to hear on TikTok, how can that many people, especially youths, be, be knocked down that quick to be like, maybe I need some poop in my life. It doesn't. So you've never ate an ass? No. No? You are Mormon. How is this? I mean, I've done it before, but it's not something that I'm into. It's like one of those things where, I mean, I'm married now, so but like growing up, if I was with a young lady and she's like, by the way, I'm into this, I'd be like, oh, I can do that. But what is into like, it? Like what? I'm, I mean, I'm not into it. No, I don't know. It was it was always for them. I mean, like I it was can't always like here is a gift. What? Present your bottom. But I can't even really imagine like that. There's an erogenous zone on the exterior. Yeah, I don't get it either. It's not my thing. I'm just saying it's very common. But what isn't common? What isn't common is eating shit and drinking piss. Those okay. are two very eating somebody's ass and just straight up eating their shit and drinking their piss are two completely different things. Okay, we can agree on that. And I apologize. Yeah, I did kind of take that down one one direction. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, while we're on the subject up, when was the first time you ate shit and drank piss? Yes, yeah, see, back to that, and I never have. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'll just mark. Mark, just do you have this like a checkbox that says Mormon answer? Never ate shit or drank piss. Yeah. And if yeah, that makes just... me Mormon, <laughs> all righty. <laughs> now you also see, though, why I chose Ant Hill Kids as the lead-up to Albert Fish. Yeah, because you can already tell that I'm a bit desensitized to all the topics thus far. It's There's like, a lot of shit and piss in the Ant Hill Kids and also a lot of child abuse, and I knew it was the perfect appetizer to oh, this shitty meal that we're taking in right now. Acknowledge it. Uh, um, so now little Albert Fish, he's uh, he's into beating, he's into hurting people, he's into hearing their scream, them scream. He, his religion is mixed up in his sexuality, and he's also he's he's bisexual. And, and on top of this, now uh, drinking piss and eating shit has also gotten wrapped up in his in his mind. And eating piss or eating shit and drinking piss will be something that he also carries with him into his all the way to the fucking electric chair. Spoiler alert. He also begins regularly visiting, 12 years old still, begins regularly visiting public baths on the weekends. He didn't do it during the week. He's not a, he's not a freak. Just on the weekends to secretly watch young boys undress. So he'd hide somewhere in there. Maybe he's peeking through holes. It never explained how he got to see these young boys undress in these public baths. But he would just go there and, and beat off and watch that. He also, still 12 years old, begins working as a corner boy prostitute and sleeping with grown men for money. And I don't want to get on a soapbox here and sound all preachy, but I don't think that young boys or girls should do that. That sounds like an emo band. What? Corner boy prostitute. It does. Yeah. And like the words would be written like in black tree branches where you can't even fucking read them. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Yep. Taken. Taken. Corner boy prostitute is already that's a that's a website in Russia, isn't it? Oh, I uh, somebody owns somebody owns it now. Somebody owns it. You just bought the website Corner Boy Prostitute. Yeah, I guess it's time that I come clean on something. I buy anytime I come across something where my gut turns because it sounds like a terrible phrase. 
I go and buy the domain name, and then on that website, I just put a download to pamphlets. Oh, that's how you pass your Mormon brochures, and they're now digital. So you they can get so you can get them inside our houses now without even knocking in your white button up shirt and ties on your little bicycles. But, I, but what I will say is that. I'll just go as far as to say there are a lot of kinds of pamphlets out there. So I like to pepper the diversity of pamphlet downloads pretty wide. So for Corner Boy Prostitute, the pamphlet on the cover of it, it's a little boy flexing his muscles. <laughs> and then they open it up and it's like, have you heard about Joseph Smith? <laughs> no, in this case, I'm, I'm, I'm uploading a PDF that you can download that says how to manage your alopecia. That's it. That's what I'm doing on this one. <laughs> How to manage your alopecia. Uh, in 1885, at 15 years old, Albert Fisk graduates public school. And while in school, he made good grades. He was considered a good student, quiet, kept to himself, but made good grades. He wasn't a dumbass or anything. But also at this time, at 15 years old, he has his name legally changed to Albert instead of Hamilton. And it was all for one reason, to shake that goddamn memory of the nickname those kids had gave him in the orphanage, Ham and Eggs. Because he had no idea how popular that would be, have, been, have been become in this day and age. And he could have kept Ham and it. Eggs? Yep. Dr. Why would that be popular? Dr. Seuss. Oh. I, I mean, maybe, I don't... Also, Hamilton is a Broadway play. Ham and eggs, by the way, a better nickname than bitch. <laughs> yeah, yep. Can I agree with you there? And the, obviously, they, they, they got ham from Hamilton and then just added the and eggs, old ham and eggs fish. But, I mean, he carried this with him for eight years. This hatred of his name because of ham and eggs. And yeah, this is the point when he legally becomes Albert Fish. Uh, okay. Now, if you wonder where he got Albert from, it was the name of one of his younger brothers who had died of hydrocephalus at 18 months old in 1865, five years before Albert was born. Uh, back then, they called it water on the brain. And if you're wondering what hydrocephalus is, it's uh, where you've probably seen babies born with like a... Giant I don't even know heads. That the large head, yeah. That's hydrocephalus. It's really sad. That killed his little brother. It is sad. Yeah. But in uh, 1865, they just called it Water on the Brain because that's how we were in the 1800s. Also sounds like a good goth band. Go ahead, buy that domain name, Water on the Brain. Upload alopecia brochure. Water on the brain. Water on the brain. I could just hear it now. Malangelopecia. Malangelopecia. <laughs> This is going to be good. Is it? I don't... 1887, at 17 years old, Albert Fish be, begins his lifelong career as a house painter, both exterior and interior. Uh, and this is a career that he will continue on for the rest of his life. He does take breaks and takes on other jobs here and there, every now and then, you'll see throughout the uh, throughout this series. But his main career is a, is a house painter, he also, at 17 years old, is as big as he will ever be. Um, he's he maxed out at five foot seven and 130 pounds. He is this size for the rest of his life. 
That's not very big. No, he was a little dude. His dad was a little dude. He was a little chode. Remember, five foot seven, two hundred twenty pounds. Yeah, was the little Danny DeVito f- motherfucker. His dad. But uh, Albert Fish is very skinny, very scrawny. He is his whole life. Albert, uh, as this painter, he always take jo- takes jobs at places where children will be around. And he knows this for sure. He knows children will be around. Uh, schools, YMCAs, um, etc. Loves watching the kiddies play while he's painting. And around 1892, five years later, at 22 years old, Albert travels to Brussels in Belgium. And while there... He spends a month or so practicing rim jobs. What? Which he was obsessed with on both men and women prostitutes. He just spends a month or so just eating men and women's assholes out. That's what, that's, that was his whole reason for being there. This guy was traveling the world and practicing for sexual perversions like he was training to do it in the goddamn Olympics. It was all he thought about. It was his whole life. Rim jobs. I was about to say that's a, that is a skill that is not going to pay off. And for those innocent people like the operator who are like, well, what is a rim job, Kent? I think we That is know. when you eat somebody's ass. Oh, uh, what? What? Yeah, it's not like, it's not an auto mechanic job <laughs> where you're changing tires. See, I was going there because I He thought... wasn't changing the tires on the vehicles of men and women prostitutes. I was... He was eating... No vehicle was involved. I thought he was just truly eating real. asses. And this is like, 1892. Yeah, because this is... I was like, this is too advanced of a skill. They don't really even have cars rolling around too much yet. So why are you preparing for such an advanced... I felt like he had gone to ITT Tech or something. It was like, I'm going to change my life. He did not. Life. He went to DIC Tech. <laughs> So, yeah, he's in Belgium just fucking burying his face in men and women's assholes and paying for it. And after he gets back from training from Belgium in in 1894, at 24 years old, Albert Fish moves to New York City and continues his work there as a painter and a decorator. Now, while in New York City, he starts intentionally taking jobs in apartment buildings where there were unattended children, just like he did earlier with YMCA's and stuff. He does get an apartment at 76 West 101st Street at the northwestern end of Central Park. Uh, That old building, as well as that entire section of 101st Street that he lived on, has since been removed, and it is now 20-story apartment buildings. They stand in its place. So it's been long gone. But he also, uh, after he gets settled into this apartment here, he moves his mother up from Washington to live with him. And if you ask me, I would have put her ass in an orphanage with Brother Weinstein for a few years first um, as a little payback for throwing. <laughs> me too. Let her see. So Albert's. Do what? Let her see what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he's 24 now. He's got a joy. He's got a little spot here in, in New York City. His mom's living with him. And then between the years of 1894 and 1897, so the following three years, um, he's at this apartment. He's working as a painter. In this three-year period up, Albert Fish attacked, molested, and raped countless children while working as a painter. Literally countless as Dr. Henry Riley would later say while on the stand in court, quote, the experiences were so frequent and with so many victims that it would be impossible to give them any detail. 
unquote. Okay, that's a pretty broad brush right there. So question on that. And if you're going to get to this, just say, shut up. But my question is, did he get caught doing this a lot? No. So how do we know that these are so I will get into that. Okay, all right. I just wanted to make sure there was a little bit of meat on the bone. Yeah, there is. Okay. I mean, I mean, so I don't he, he has he, now he hasn't killed anybody yet. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Okay. But he is attacking, uh, molesting, and raping possibly hundreds of children in this three-year span. Jeez. I mean, he uh, he was really good at it. He got really good at luring them down to the basement. So his technique was he would lure them down to the basement by telling me he had candy or, or pick a pick a story. He used candy a lot in his molestations to, to lure children. He would lure them down to the basement of whatever building he was working in, painting, and that's when he would attack. And this is why he never really got caught up, because he also mainly in this period only targeted black children. Really? Because he knew the police were unfortunately less likely to look too deep into it in the event that one of these kids say something. I think we should cancel Albert Fish. I do, too. I they always talk about how good a painter he was, but they never bring this up. I think we should also cancel eight, late 1800s police investigators. That's wrong. Right. And so you're asking, well, how did he not get caught with all these molestations? Yeah, and some funny. people, some of the investigators thought literally that it was in the hundreds. That was because he mainly targeted black children. And also because Albert Fish himself said that he was really good at convincing eight any anyone below the age of eight and nine years old to never say anything. He said they just don't talk. He was very uh, open about that. They just don't say anything. Uh, oh, gosh. Oftentimes, he would bring along with him a paddle that had nails hammered through it and use it on the children in the basement while he raped them. So a, a nail-studded paddle. He also, while at work, begins never wearing clothes under his bib overhauls, his painter overhauls, so that he can quickly get out of them, so he can be naked in like a in like a, a millisecond. It's also during this period that Albert begins regularly visiting brothels and paying prostitutes to whip and beat him, so now he's paying for the beatings. And this is all in this three-year period. It's important to point out over the span of Albert's life that he lived and worked in 23 states. He went as far west as Montana. Actually, 23 states In those 23 states, he molested and abused children in every single one of them. So when so when you're saying Washington, then are you talking Washington, D.C.? Washington, D.C. OK. Yes. All right. That's good to know. Yes. Not Washington, the state. OK. The furthest he went west was Montana. All right. But in every single one of those states, he molested and abused children in every single one of them. But because the. Most of his horrible crimes took place in New York, and he spent most of his life in New York. For storytelling's sake, we're sticking to New York mainly. Okay. But uh, even in New York City, even within New York City, as you will see, he moves around a lot to kind of, in case one of these children says something, he's always switching addresses. He moves a lot. And now up, we are at February 5th, 1898. Oh, 1898. Yay. Oh, my gosh. What a year. <laughs> what a year. Yeah. It's actually the year. What happened in 1898? Well, I wanted to let people know that if there's a year that you should be looking for coins, if you are interested in getting coins, yes. that could end up being. All three people. A value to you in the future or to your progeny. 
1898 is a great place to go because the Morgan yeah. silver dollar, U.S. Morgan wow. silver dollar, wow. not impossible to find and does maintain quite a bit of value. Like right now, you could get into a Morgan silver dollar for around 180 bucks, 180 bucks, you know, in good condition and you hold on to that bad boy and you might might be having your Yeezys paid for. So at most right now, this coin that you interrupted this story that I spent forever preparing yeah. is worth 180 bucks. But could be more. Could be not, but could be maybe a lot more. in another 50 years. Yep. Crazy. 180 bucks. Yeah. That's not even that crazy. Kind of feel like it is that February fifth, eighteen ninety. You motherfucker! February fifth, eighteen ninety eight. Fish marries a nineteen year old woman named Anna May Hoffman, who was nine years younger than him. So Fish is twenty eight years old at this point in time. Anna May is uh is uh, nineteen. Fish didn't even really know her. His mother had arranged the marriage. This was an arranged marriage that his mother had set up. That Ellen had set up. And I think it's important at this point to talk about how Albert Fish approached adult relationships with women for the rest of his life. Because the best way to describe Albert Fish when interacting with, with adults is indifferent, uninterested, uh-huh. cruise control, right? He, he, does, he is in multiple relationships with women throughout his life. But in my reading, there was never any romance there. So it seems that this might be another one of those trapdoor recipes where his whole upbringing, he found very little value in adults. Yes. It's, now, it's important to point out that in all of the marriages, he never abused them. He never, there was no venom there with the women that he was married to outside of the bedroom. He did do all of his weird stuff with all of the women that he marries inside the bedroom, but it was consensual. Yeah, and they agree to this. These women were are, are were still alive whenever he had to go to court. He was never outside of a closed bedroom door during sexual relations. He was never abusive or anything, but he was also not really there. Like just basically showed up to sleep there at night. And you, as a woman in a relationship with Albert Fish, you didn't get into deep, meaningful conversations about your feelings and all that stuff. Yeah, because his mind was um, elsewhere. Yeah. Exactly. And that's how every single relationship that he gets in from this time forward is. He's not interested. He's just un- un- indifferent, uninterested. Yeah. Him and Annie, him and 19 Annie, they get a little house uh, there in, in Queens, New York at 31 Calmia Avenue. That's Calmia, K-A-L-M-I-A at Calmia Avenue. That place was torn down in 1921 and is now the location of another little house that is probably occupied by a person that has no clue that they are sitting on the site that at one point lived a shit-eating pedophile monster. But yes, that little house at 31 Calmia Avenue was destroyed in 1921 mm-hmm. where Albert Fish uh, moved in with his first wife. And over the next couple years here at this house at 31 Calmia Avenue, they have six children. Six. Six children, Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. Wow. On April 2nd, 1899, Albert Fish Jr. is born. On September 9th, 1900, his daughter Anna is born. And it's important to point out 
that every single one of his children, Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry, all six of them went on to live normal, healthy lives and be productive members of society and had families of their own. So we are now up to the year 1903 up, and 1903 was a very busy year for Albert Fish because on March 25th, 1903, his favorite child, a little girl named Gertrude, is born. And Gertrude, like I said, his favorite child out of all six of them, and Gertrude would actually later give birth to his favorite grandchild, a little girl named Gloria, and Gloria just recently passed away in 2016 at the age of 93. And it's crazy to think that as as early as six years ago, somebody was walking this earth and having to say Albert Fish when somebody asked them who their grandfather was. Yeah. I'm not. You know what I might do? I might say Hamilton Fish. Yeah, I would just say ham and eggs. Ham and eggs. Old ham and eggs. You might have known about him. Nope, never heard of him. Anyway. But it's important. I mean, Gloria had nothing but good memories of her grandfather. Yeah. Nothing but good memories of her grandfather. On September 11th, 1903, so this is the same year as uh, uh, Gertrude is born, Ellen Fish, Albert's mother, dies of Bratz disease, which is now called nephritis, at her home at 50 Hollywood Avenue in East Orange, New Jersey. So that's where she was living at the time of her death. After Albert got married, she moved out, moved to New Jersey at 50 Hollywood Avenue. Uh, That section of Hollywood Avenue has since been taken out and is now an old abandoned apartment complex. looks pretty rough. Windows are boarded up, that kind of thing. Yeah. So his mom's dead now. Ellen is dead. She died of Bryce disease. In December of 1903, the same year his mother died and his daughter Gertrude is born, Albert is arrested for the first time for grand larceny. That's... Didn't have anything to do with... (laughs) (laughs) What... Didn't have anything to do with the hundreds of children that he's attacked. Grand larceny. He had been the manager of a grocery store at the time and had embezzled a huge sum of money from that grocery store because he felt like his wages, he wasn't being paid enough. In uh, June of 1904, he is sentenced for the larceny to between 2 and 11 years in Sing Sing Prison. At the time of his sentencing, he was 32 years old. On October 10th, 1906, after serving 16 months, Albert Fish is released from Sing Sing Prison back to his family. Wow. On July 20th, 1907, his fourth child, Eugene Henry Fish, is born. And if you do the math, that's about nine months right after he got released from prison. So you know he went straight home and started fucking eating ass and whipping with whips. Drinking her piss and eating her shit. And he's like, you eat my shit now. I've missed you, honey. It's been 16 months. How about a rim job for O-Time's sake? Let's make another little baby. In 1910, so three years after Eugene Henry Fish is born, 1910, his fifth child, John William Fish, is born. And now we are to an unfortunate year, 1911. Great gun, unfortunate year. <laughs> it's true. It's on my wish list. I really would like to. Do you own a 1911? No, I don't. Uh, uh, mainly because they're a pain in the ass to clean. I know, but right, it's a it's a bucket list item. You got to have one. Yeah. yeah. And 1911 up, a mentally slow 19 year old man is 19 a man. I would say. I know that as a society we 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 say yeah you can drive and if, I don't think so. No. Still a child really. Yeah. A mentally slow, so he's he's mentally 
not sharp. Young fella by the name of Thomas Kedden had run away from his home in Arkansas after being brutally beaten by his stepdad. Now, Thomas, 19-year-old Thomas here, who is mentally challenged, had hopped on trains heading east. And unfortunately, keep in mind, he's ran away from home because his stepdad was beating him. He gets on trains heading east. And in the process of hopping trains, he's brutally raped by five homeless men inside one of the boxcars. He is? Yes. Five homeless men raped Thomas Kedden for hundreds of miles on this train inside a boxcar. At one point, he hops off the train in Wilmington, Delaware, so he can put an end to all of the rapes and sexual assaults from the five homeless men inside the boxcar. And directly after hopping off of that train, bumps into Albert Fish. Ah! (laughs) That'd be like... That'd be like getting beaten by five ninjas as you fall down a hundred foot cliff and then you land in a lemon juice factory. You land on top of Joseph Mangala. <laughs> what luck. Albert Fish was just 41 years old. He sees him as a, a friendly, middle-aged man who, who seemed to care about him. And Albert Fish, if you're wondering why he was in Wilmington, Delaware, he was there on a painting job. He wasn't there for an extent. He wasn't living there or anything. He was just there briefly for a painting job. He was there for, I think it was like two months. He was there on a painting job, bumps into Albert Fish, and unfortunately Thomas Kedden, after being raped brutally for this long train ride, is penniless and hungry and desperate. Albert brings Thomas Kedden back to his room that he was staying in after taking him out for supper. So he he takes him out for a hot meal. And once there, he discovers that Thomas Kedden is also covered from head to toe in body loss. Oh, what? Albert then went out to a store and bought hair remover in a powdered form. This is 1911 hair remover. God knows what kind of chemicals were in this, right? Yeah, they've had that back then? Yeah, in powdered form. It was very specific about that, that it was in powdered form. He brings it back to his room where Thomas is waiting. He runs a bath for Thomas. He strips Thomas naked. This is a mentally challenged 19-year-old, keep in mind. If you're wondering why he so quickly went along with it. He makes him sit down inside the bath, and then he makes a paste out of this uh, powdered hair removal. He has Thomas stand up, and then he rubs this paste over Thomas's entire body. He said that Thomas was covered, his entire body was covered in thick black hair. He then has Thomas sit down, and he starts scrubbing him with a brush, And he says that within an hour, Thomas's entire body from the neck down was bald as a baby. And here is a quote from Albert Fish on the rest of that night up after he got all that hair off of Thomas's body and got him out of the bathtub. And you fucking better buckle up. Uh... (sighs) Quote. Then the fun began. It was a warm night and I went out and got a quart of ice cream. We ate about half of it. Then I stripped him naked and got in bed. He kissed me in the mouth many times. My breast, belly, legs, dicky, and behind. I put ice cream in his behind and all on his dicky and then licked it off. He done the same with me. Then I made him lay down on his knees, face down, as I sat on the side of the bed. 
How sweet and pretty his bare naked ass looked to me. I kissed a Times Square in his honey pot. Then I took my hairbrush and used the back of it to spank him. I made him yell, Ouch, Papa! I will be a good boy! Yes, I spanked him on his nice fat ass. It looked like a ripe tomato all over. Then it was his turn to be Papa. I was his boy and done number two in my pants. He gave me a bath and then sat on the side of the bed and made me lay across his knees, face down. He spanked my bare ass good and plenty, made me yell, Ouch, Papa! I won't do number two in my poopy pants again. I had. My ass was all red when he got through. I saw it in the looking glass. How good it felt when he spanked. But it hurt, and I always wanted more. Nearly all night we had fun. I sucked him off at first, and then he sucked me off. We played with each other, and then rested. Unquote. Um... Does it seem weird to you that in all of the things that he just said that he still calls it number two? He does that anytime he's referring like to shit. Every single time, anytime he's referring to shit in all of his writings, he calls it number two. That's so weird. Oh, it's Papa. I want to do number two in my pants again. Oh, gosh. It was probably more like, though, while he was spanking him, like... Oh, Papa, I want to do number two in my pants again. I'm really glad that you had Jack read those and not me. Why don't we have Jack just read it, but let's have you read it. No, I don't want to. Go ahead. Start from the beginning. All right. I'll save you for the Grace Bud letter. You can read the Grace Bud letter. No, I don't. Want, oh, gosh. No, I'm not reading yeah. that one. You're going to read the Grace Bud letter in part no. two. We'll just have Op, the Grace Bud letter from Op. Nope. <laughs> okay. And if you're wondering what that is, you'll see soon enough. The first four days of Thomas Kedden and Albert's relationship took place in his room. But after the fifth day up, he moved Thomas Kedden to an abandoned farmhouse, tied him up. And over the next five weeks, Albert and Thomas Kedden entered into what Fish claims was a consensual relationship. That being said, he was tied up the entire time. And I think that for Thomas, it was more out of desperation than anything. So whether or not this is consensual, I think is arguable because he was there for five weeks and by Albert's own admittance was tied up in this abandoned farmhouse. Yeah, good. that's a good point. It's not exactly uh, he's not exactly free to move about the cabin. But with that being said, there are points you'll see here in a minute where Thomas is momentarily untied. So I'm wondering if maybe his mental disabilities I think maybe this was equivalent to kidnapping a child, an eight, nine-year-old child. Yeah, it feels... It, He's yeah. 19, but he has the mentality of an eight, nine-year-old. Yeah, none of it really feels consensual. Albert would bring Thomas water daily and then torture him. Occasionally, he would bring him a sandwich. But for the most part, Albert Fish made Thomas Kedden drink and eat his own urine and shit when he was hungry, as well as Albert's. I have a question. I have a question about that. Like, don't you get sick if you eat poop? Actually, and uh, in court, it would come out. He talked about that that the first time it did make him sick, and he could only eat a sp- a spoonful of number two at a time. 
But, I mean, as he got used to it, he also said that adult shit tastes way worse than children's shit. That's why he preferred to eat children's shit. Yeah, probably more more simple. And, by the way, while he's forcing Thomas Kedden to eat his own urine and shit as well as Albert's urine and shit, Albert is also eating Thomas Kedden's urine and shit as well as his own urine and shit. And the two of them together, he claims, I think it was probably just Albert, but he says they called it having peanut butter and cider. I'm going to say it. Neither one of those things tastes even close to that. Fish later claimed that over that five weeks, between the two of them, they must have eaten over 10 pounds of peanut butter and cider. Nope. And that's a lot of shit. Yeah. And I found that when it comes to shit, my eyes are often bigger than my belly. I can never eat as much shit as I think I can. I, <laughs> I, I really want you to be kidding. I want I'm you kidding. To I've never ate shit. Okay, good. I've ate ass. Never ate shit. Oh, I don't like poop. Still. I'm not a fan of poop. It grosses me out. On this one thing, I'm going to I'm going to just stop talking about my shock about poop stuff because I feel like I There's really so much more the, of it. I feel like I'm in the minority with my kind of shock about. I, I'm I'm a little surprised by your disgust of ass stuff. Like I said, I'm not a fan of ass stuff. But, smells like poop. I don't want. I don't understand. I mean, there's who are you? About, are you sleeping with homeless women? But no. What are you? But like the the you go to the bathroom and if you know, your nose is right there, even if they've recently showered, yeah, you're gonna get. What do they call it when they're taking tasting wine? Like the back top notes. The, the top notes of shit. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> But, I mean, ass stuff is very popular. It's like the number one searched porno thing on Pornhub. I just don't understand. Not my thing, but if it's yours, good on you. Good for you. Not really. (laughs) Not good for you. Now, while he's got Thomas Kedden tied up, making him eat his own shit, making him eat Albert's shit, he's also beating him with whips and using razors on multiple occasions to to cut deep gouges in Thomas's butt cheeks where Albert would then get down and suck the blood out. Now, of his to butt me, cheeks. that's that that's going to another level. Like, um, like it it seems like bl- blood to me takes another turn. Totally, you know, when you're interested. in I would take blood. the blood over the shit. Me too. I'm just saying. I would rather drink somebody's blood than eat their shit. It seems like a different, a different kink, not kink, fetish, uh, you know, yeah. or, or even I, I would even go as far as to maybe say it's a it, drinking blood and fe- feeling a desire for that seems like it would be a mental, another mental, whole another mental thing. Well, how about this? What? He would also set Thomas's genitals on fire with alcohol and scream and dance happily as um, they burned. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this isn't consensual. Yeah, I don't think so either. But with that being said, he also untied Thomas and had Thomas set his genitals on fire with alcohol. Mm, that's probably consensual. But all of this is imp- – it's just so important to note that this man was mentally challenged. So what was and wasn't con- – I, I doubt the entire thing was consensual even in moments where he's untied. Yeah. On the final day, when Albert Fish was bored of Thomas Kedden, he ties Kedden up, Kedden up by his wrists over a raptor, and then takes a knife 
and begins to cut Thomas's penis off right behind the head. His fantasy was to eat a, quote, little monkey, as Albert called it. He just wanted the dickhead. He wanted to take the dickhead home, cut it down the middle like you would a sausage, and then fry it and eat it. That was what he fantasized about, was cutting off a, quote, little monkey. And he used a knife to do this, by the way, not a pair of scissors like a lot of people report. And like I said, he did it just behind the dickhead. Halfway through cutting, though, so he's got the head halfway off. Kenton starts loudly screaming, and for whatever reason, Albert stops. We still don't know why. Maybe he heard somebody coming. Maybe he was afraid he was about to be found. But quickly, he stops. So the dickhead is just swinging by. It's still technically attached, but swinging around. This is also 1911. They're not going to be able to fix this. So what Albert does is he pours water on the mangled penis and then douses it in peroxide. He then covers it in Vaseline and wraps it up with a towel. And even with all of this, I would not be friends with this guy after that. I would be so mad if you tried to cut my penis off. I think I would go into shock. I wouldn't talk to you for days. I would. (laughs) I would go into shock. If you try to text me, like, if you did that, if you tried to cut my penis off on, like, a Sunday, if you try to text me on a Tuesday, I would be like, you remember when you tried to cut my penis off on Sunday? Not even tried. Did. Well, he... Quit halfway through. Yeah, but did it ever get healed? Probably not. I would say it had to be removed after the gangrene set in. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Just saying we wouldn't be friends. I would be like, don't call me for at least a week. I'd accept that. But I will say this. After he cut the Thomas Kedden's penis halfway off and then put peroxide and Vaseline on it, he did leave 10 bucks on the floor before fleeing. Oh, that's nice of him. Yeah, and today that's that's $240. Oh, that's not bad. That's enough to buy a used laptop. <laughs> One of those Vizios. Oh, it'd sit not a lot a Vizio. more. What am I thinking about? What's an Axis? It would sit a lot more level on his lap since he didn't have a wiener. No, he still had half of a. He only cut it halfway off. I I keep feeling like you're you don't you're not hearing what the I'm saying. The dickhead is still flapping. Half of a wiener is not worth two in the bush. That's the old saying. You don't think it's worth $240? It's not worth... Let me say it like this. It's not useful. Hold on. Let me say it like this. At all. $240. Oh, what? Never mind. You can't... You could even... You could buy almost two Morgan dollars with that. Never mind. Now that you said it that way. Now, Thomas Kedden, after Albert leaves the $10 on the floor and flees, never sees Albert again because Albert then left Delaware and went back to New York City. On September 24th, 1913, Albert's son, Henry, is born. January 1917, four years later, after 19 years of marriage, Albert's wife, Anna, is finally sick of all the weird shit, both literal and metaphorical. She's taking part in his weird sexual stuff behind closed doors during their marriage, but she's also just sick of him as a human being, not being there emotionally just being a a robot, an android. And Anna runs off with one of their lodgers. They had been renting one of their rooms out in their house, and she runs off uh, with with a guy named John Straub. However, within weeks of being gone, Anna comes back and beating on the door, begging for Albert to take her back because John had beaten the shit out of her. Albert uh, uh, originally wasn't going to take her back, but his children started begging him to take her back, and so he did for them. Days after, though, after taking her back, 
the dog, the family dog, is showing a lot of interest in the door that leads up to the attic. Oh. Albert swings the door open, walks in, and trips over John Straub, who is living in their attic. He was asleep. Anna had been sneaking him food, and he was living in their attic all along. Talk about a cuck. Albert the cuck. Albert cuckfish. (sighs) So while he was away painting, John would just come out and fuck Anna. And then before he got home, he'd get a nice dinner or lunch and then go back and sleep in the attic. It took the dog going to the door for them to know. Attics are so creaky. For who to know? The dog. He wasn't moving around in there. He just went up there to sleep. This was a bum. This guy, he didn't have to go to work. He wasn't. He would just sleep, eat, and fuck Anna. Mysterious. So Albert <laughs> discovers him sleeping in the attic and kicks them both out. He kicks Anna, his, his wife, as well as John Straub out. There wasn't a big confrontation. That wasn't in Albert's, Albert Fish's nature to confront grown men. Uh, I almost get the impression that he was probably afraid of physical confrontation with grown men. Yeah, I would agree. But a few days later, while Albert's at work, Anna returns with John Straub, and they clean the house out. They take all the furniture. I wonder if they made a noise doing it or whether it would have been creaky like an attic. They probably did. Make a lot of noise. Now, on Albert Fish as a parent, I've got to be honest. By all accounts, by all accounts, by every one of Albert Fish's blood relative, children, daughters, sons, and grandchildren, he was a devoted and loving father. He loved his children. He never abused them. They said they could never remember. None of them ever remembered of a single time where he hit them or yelled at them or abused them ever. Yeah, so sort of a Ted Bundy thing. He's got his yes, limits. exactly. Outside of all of the child raping, he worked hard to provide for his family and never laid a finger on or in any of his own children. I feel like you didn't mean to say that. Albert Fish looked at children like how people treat rental cars. You won't put a cigarette out in your own car, right? But people treat rental cars like shit. I will admit. You'll rub boogers on the ceiling. Whenever you had a rental car, didn't you have boogers all over the ceiling of that one whenever we went to Wisconsin? (laughs) That car was pristine. I will admit, sometimes I forget to leave the re- I'll leave the receipts in the console of a rental car. Yeah, like, you'll just spill a drink on the electronics and be like, oh, whatever. Oh, I don't do that. Do burnouts in it? No, I'm very Drive nice through a cornfield at sixty miles an hour. Even when they charge me four thousand dollars for a rental car, I treat it very nicely. I do too. I'm just talking about humans in general. Oh. I don't know how they do it. I think they're rough on... I might drive a rental car a little bit more aggressively than I would my own. My my thing is, I think they know. They know. You know, if you're really punching it and... I don't think they do. Doing snappy-doos in the middle of the... Look, I'm just saying, Albert Fish looked at other children like rental cars. It's like, oh, that one's not mine. I can hurt it. Whatever. He took very good care of his own children, but didn't give a fuck about anybody else's. I did discover something interesting, though, Op, uh, something very, very, very interesting. Maybe more like step-parents, because I think a lot of step-parents treat stepchildren that way. Plus, step, you, plus stepchildren really? are humans, not cars, so I think the analogy might stand up a little better. I don't think a lot of people treat stepchildren the way Albert Fish treated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you said... 
I if mean, they did, the story wouldn't be as weird. What I mean is people don't get sexual with a rental car and they have disregard for a rental car. And I think because they're not your kids, a lot of step parents have a level of disregard for stepchildren. Okay, so maybe like a microscopic drop of what Albert Fish was. Like a like a literal, just like a point zero 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 times a hundred point one percent. Yeah. But probably more accurate than rental cars. I don't know. I feel like the rental car analogy is best. Fine. Honestly. Moving on. I'm gonna stand I'm gonna stand my ground on that. Yeah. Albert Fish looked at children like rent the way people look at rental cars. <sighs> okay. He would never shit in his own car, but he will shit in a rental car. That's gross. Okay. I discovered something very interesting up. In nineteen seventeen the religious mania intensifies greatly, and uh, every other podcast that does an episode of Albert Fish will attribute this to the fact that in January of 1917, his wife Anna leaves him. And after she leaves, he really goes silly. He really goes off the rails. He starts acting like a real dickhead. And But I, I found something up, because it's important to note that the religious mania in particular intensified greatly. After January of 1917, when his wife left. But I discovered something, something very interesting. I did a dive, uh, I dug into the history of uh, St. John's Orphanage, where Albert Fish spent his childhood years. And the sister Sarah that he spoke of, remember her? The woman that Albert claimed was responsible for introducing him to his love of pain and punishment and screaming. Yeah, the, the sister hot Sarah. Nun. Hot nun. Yeah, exactly. The hot nun. Okay. We know that Anna, his wife, he didn't really get attached to adults. So I thought, how could this affect him this much? Right. And I also found it interesting that the religious mania is what, in, in specific, specifically, is what intensified. Sister Sarah, after some digging, I found that her name was actually Sarah Huntington. And guess what? What? She died of pneumonia in January of 1917. Oh. Ah, that makes a lot. I'm seeing some dots connected now. Now, I'm not saying that's what made him snap. It could have been Anna leaving him. But I would imagine with how much he he, he thought of this woman, the sister Sarah, how important she was to him, uh, be it of good or bad importance, probably a little bit of both, knowing how fucked up Albert's head is, that he kept a, he probably kept tags on her. And I'm saying that maybe, possibly, it wasn't really the, the leaving of Anna that, that affected him. But the death of basically the person that fucked him up. Well, you know, I don't th I think you're probably right, because if you think about it, like you said, he disregards association with adults and everything seems to be he, all the connection he wants to have is with are with children. The only adult figure in his life where there was there seems to be some connective tissue to the things that are interesting in his life would be Sister Sarah because she, like you said, introduced him to the trap door. Sarah came through the trap door into that bucket of whatever whatever culminated in his brain as, uh, you know, his fetishes and all that. She was definitely in there. I mean, absolutely. Without Sarah, there would still be a bunch of children alive today. Yeah. There would probably still be some molested, but I don't know that he would have ended up killing them. What are your thoughts on this? I'll bet if you dug into it deep, I'll bet you there were a lot of 
I'll bet you history is rife with criminals and just terrible people that came out of that place as as orphans. Oh, for sure. Oh. For sure. It was it was brutal there. Yeah. So whether it be the his wife leaving him or the death of Sister Sarah, I guess we'll never know. But after January of 1917, Albert Fish's mania, his religious mania and psychopathy intensified greatly. For example, on one occasion, his daughter Anna, on one occasion, his daughter Anna comes downstairs in the middle of the night to get a glass of water, only to discover her father Albert wrapped up in, the, in a carpet laying in the floor. What? That's right. Wrapped just like a pedophile cigar, just laying in the middle of the dining room, wrapped up in the carpet, just staring at the ceiling. He never acknowledged Anna. She just turned around and went back to bed thirsty. The next morning, though, she came back downstairs, and her dad was still laying there wrapped up in the carpet, staring at the ceiling. And I, just just to be a fly on the wall in that moment of awkwardness where she's standing there on the steps and looking down at her dad, he's wrapped up like a pedophile burrito on their dining room floor. And like... I like to think that nobody said anything for a few seconds. And he just there, quiet. And and it's just there, and Albert just breaks the silence with like, good morning. <laughs> Let me just unroll here. Do, 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 do. What are your plans for today? <laughs> Eventually, though, Anna's like, she goes, uh, what are you doing, Dad? What, what is going on? And Albert responded, quote, John the Apostle told me to, unquote. And I don't think John the Apostle did that. And I'll say it. I don't think I don't think so. What is to be gained from making a pedophile burrito in the dining room floor? What is to be gained? Yeah. His episodes of self-harm also got worse after Anna left. His children often caught him beating himself over the back with a nail-studded paddle, which we've talked about. Or his homemade cat of nine tails. And the way he would make his cat of nine tails, he would take a leather belt cut it halfway down the middle so he would go halfway down the belt lengthwise and cut it, and then he would cut those two sections into four sections. So it would just be like, you know, tassels, leather tassels, and that's how he would make his cat of nine tails. So it was really the cat of four tails. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus five. was way more hardcore. <laughs> Here were some, aside from the, uh, the nail-studded paddle and the homemade cat of nine tails, here were some of his favorite wars, ways to torture himself up. Keep in mind that he did at least one of these almost daily until the day he was caught. So for the rest of this story, in the downtime, so the parts that I'm not, that I, that I just skip over, this is what's going on. Okay? Okay. Albert Fish loved to soak a cotton ball in alcohol, stick it halfway up his asshole, and then light it on fire, burning the insides of his butt cheeks and his asshole. And anybody that's eaten those KFC Nashville hot chicken tenders knows exactly what this feels like. Wow. Love sticking alcohol-soaked cotton balls up his asshole and setting it on fire. In fact, later, when he's in prison, he convinces one of his daughters to sneak some alcohol-soaked cotton balls into prison for him so he can continue to do it in his cell. Another favorite pastime of Albert Fish was inserting sewing needles into his perineum, which is the area between your asshole and your ball sack. 
That's right. Let me say that again. Inserting sewing needles into his gooch. That's enough to make Pinhead from Hellraiser cringe. And leaving him, it just left him in there. Just left him in there. Often, now at first he didn't do that on purpose. But yes, eventually he started losing them in there, and then we decided that he locked it because what he could do is if he left them in there while he's out and about in his daily activities out in the city, say he's sitting on a subway or what's what whatever, he can grind his hips and move his hips. And those needles will puncture the inside of his insides while if he moves in just the right way. So it's like pleasure on the go. Uh, By the way, just leaves him in there, which will come into play in part three at the end when he gets caught. Right. He tried pushing the needles through his testicles, but that hurt too bad, even for Albert Fish. Another favorite pastime of Albert Fish was to buy roses and then stick the stems of the roses up his urethra, his dick hole for the bros, all the way up his urethra. He would take the rose with the flower still attached and shove that briar lace stem right up his dick hole until the base of the flower touched the head of his penis. Then he would stand in a mirror and 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 just stand in awe at himself like fucking Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs with this rose hanging off the tip of his dick. Uh, doesn't sound right. Afterwards, he would slowly pull the briar-filled stem of rose out of his dick. It would cut the inside of his urethra, which he loved, and then he would eat the rose. By 1920, so that's all going on in the, in the, in the times that I'm not talking about for the rest of this story. The rose up the dick hole, the needles in the gooch, uh, the, the asshole on fire with alcohol, uh, the beatings, uh, with the cat of nine tails, with the studded paddle. That's all in the downtime. So that's when things aren't crazy. Mm-hmm. That's Albert in his downtime. That's when he's not molesting and attacking children and raping children and killing children and eating children. That's his, that's his, um. That's Sunday off. Sunday's time for the Lord. Yeah. By 1922, Albert is now 52 years old. He is renting a small house with three of his sons, Albert Jr., Henry, and Jean, in Worthington, New York, 45 minutes from New York City. They were all in their late teens at this time, late teens, early 20s by this point, these young men. And despite how their father is, it's not fair to really give them shit because they all turned out to be good parents themselves and and law-abiding citizens. Uh, but this small house that they're staying with their dad, Albert, in was in the countryside and sat beside a large apple orchard. One day in 1922, Albert Jr. is out there tossing a football around in the front yard with his brothers. You know, they're just trying to be good American boys. It's a warm summer day. Toss a football around. Talk about which girls are the cutest. You know, in front of the apple orchard, it's just a warm summer day. Let's just have, let's toss a football around. Let's just try to be normal while we're living with this fucking psycho. But that's when they begin to hear screaming. They stop tossing the football. They look out into the apple orchard and standing on top of a hill in the middle of the orchard was their father with his right hand in the air screaming, I am Christ over and over and over again. I wonder what that is. I, I, I've 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 always been kind of mesmerized by people that that get so in their own head that they think that they're Christ. Like I can't. There's a lot of homeless people that think that too. Next time I'm around, I'm around Kanye. I'll ask him. 
It's weird. It's a weird mental thing. The boys, they just went back to tossing the football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was just another day in the fish household. It's just that. Now, they knew, that's, that was how they looked at it. What you just said, I know you were kidding, but that's how they felt. That's just dad. Like, he never beat them. He loved them. He raised them. He, he, did, he, he was good to them. But they knew he was something was off. And that's how they looked at episodes like this. It's just dad. That's just dad. Just Out there being crazy. Whenever he gets caught for these horrible crimes, it literally catches all of them completely off guard. I didn't see it coming. Monday, July 14th, 1924. We are in Port Richmond, Staten Island. It's a hot day. It's a pretty clear summer day in July. There's no clouds in the sky. I think of the Sandlot. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's Port Richmond. It's Staten Island. I think the Sandlot was supposed to take place in California, if memory serves. But nonetheless, just a beautiful day in July, 10 days after the 4th of July. It is 2.30 p.m., and a young woman, a young mother by the name of Anna McDonald is sitting on her front porch at 355 Decker Avenue watching her 8-year-old Francis and her 5-year-old Albert play in the front yard. So this is going to get conf- – well, no, it won't get too confusing because Albert, little Albert here, 5-year-old Albert, isn't super a part of what's about to happen. The little house that they lived in there at 355 Decker Avenue was built in 1901 and still stands there to this day, but it's in pretty rough shape. It looks like it's really went downhill. They've stopped taking care of it. So Anna McDonald, she's sitting there on her porch. She's watching her eight-year-old Francis play. At that point in time, Port Richmond here in Staten Island is a pretty rural place. It was houses and woods, mostly quiet neighborhood. Outsiders really stood out. Not like now where it's businesses and busy and there's very little vegetation right this is 1924 um it's a quiet neighborhood quiet all-american neighborhood some woods wooded areas neighborhoods kind of quiet that's probably why anna mcdonald immediately picked up on an old man in a gray suit and a gray hat you would be correct that is why anna mcdonald immediately picked up on an old man in a gray suit and a gray hat with gray hair and a gray stubble walking down the street now albert fish was a little bit bold-legged And he walked kind of cockeyed. He had a very distinct walk. And she noticed him immediately. He eventually passed by her house. And Anna McDonald would later say, quote, He came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself, making queer motions with his hands. I'll never forget those hands. I shuddered when I looked at them. I shudder every time I think of them. How they opened and shut, opened and shut, opened and shut. I saw him look towards Francis and Al. I saw his gray hair, his drooping mustache. Everything about him seemed faded and gray. I saw my neighbor's two police dogs spring at him, and I saw Philip, the hired man, call him off. The gray man turned to me and tipped his cap, and then he went away. Unquote. Mm. That's not the last that little eight-year-old Francis McDonald will see of Albert Fish, though. I can just smell that man. Yeah. 4.30 p.m. that same day, up, eight-year-old Francis McDonald and his five-year-old little brother Albert are now playing with three neighborhood kids and tossing a white rubber ball around on the street at the edge of a 10-acre section called the Charlton Nordlinger Woods at the intersection of Forest and Decker Avenue, just a short distance behind their houses. Um, it's not even really behind their It's like to the left and a little bit behind, but it's like maybe an eighth of a mile from their house. Yeah, it's where that subway is now. 
subway. It's not a subway, but um, yeah. I'll tell you what it is here in just a minute where this little boy is about to okay. unexist. Probably a subway. They're sitting there playing that, tossing that white ball around there when suddenly, uh, seemingly out of nowhere, the boys notice 50-year-old Albert Fish standing a few feet inside the woods staring at them. Now, this is like Pennywise. Yeah, except for it's not in a sewer drain. Exactly. But it makes me think of that scene whenever he's got holding the arm and he's waving at the edge of the, you know, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, waves back. Hey. Yeah. That one. That's what this reminds me of. He's standing just a few feet inside the woods watching them. The, the, the other kids that were there later said that he looks almost homeless and he had unkempt gray suit, an unkempt gray suit and a gray bowler hat. They said that he noticed that his gaze darted frantically from one to the other, like he's trying to decide. Like a like a wolf, just looking at the boys, watch, trying to hone in on one. But eventually, he does hone in on eight-year-old Francis. When Francis made eye contact with Albert, Albert raised one crooked finger, they said, and motioned him to come here. Mm. He's eight years old. He doesn't know any better. He walks away from his friends there and up to Albert at the edge of the woods. Um, the kids said that they spoke for a moment, a very brief moment, and then Albert turned and walked deeper into the woods with Francis following behind him. And in a minute, they were both gone. Don't go, Francis. Every single second of this interaction was not only witnessed by the children that Francis had been playing with, but also by a neighbor named George Stern, who was watching it all happen from a rocking chair on his front porch. And this is, you know, you're like, well, why didn't anybody? This is the 1920s. It's like, yeah, that's a little weird, but like... It was a different time in history, man. Well, they traded out their kids. You know, they were like, oh, I got a job. I got to get rid of the kids for a cu- for like a year and a half. I mean, it was a different time. It was a different time. Yeah. Meanwhile, Albert uh. Fish and Francis McDonald are walking through the woods. They eventually come into a clearing in the woods, and that's when Albert Fish attacks the young boy, eight-year-old boy. He knocks him to the ground, yanks his pants and underwear down, as well as his shoes, and begins sexually assaulting him while simultaneously strangling him with his own suspenders. Eventually, though, he strangles too hard, and uh, Francis falls limp. He is dead. So we're not sure if this first murder was intentional. Could have been a heat-of-the-moment thing, but he is dead. Francis is dead now. He strangled him to death. But we don't know if he got excited in the sexual assault or what, but he does realize now that he's killed Francis. I'm going to go ahead and, like, you followed him, and then he got him to come with him. But at this point, you know, he's he's molested and assaulted and raped hundreds of children. Yeah. He then pulls, Albert then pulls a knife from his pocket and starts mutilating the, mutilating the body. This is when he gets his first urges for cannibalism. Uh, not Not his first urges. He's had those forever. But he starts acting on those urges. But... As he's slicing at the legs and working on getting one of the hamstrings off so he can eat it at home, he's going to take it with him, he hears footsteps in the woods, gets creeped out, throws some debris, branches, and an old newspaper on top of the corpse of Francis, and runs off into the woods. Um, We don't know who that was that was walking through the woods. They didn't come across that body that day. But later that evening, just after dark, five-year-old Albert McDonald, Francis' little brother, Francis' little brother, arrives at his house there at 355 Decker Avenue for dinner. Um, When his mother, Anna McDonald, asked him where his brother was, the boy told her that he had went into the woods with a gray-haired old man. 
Now, his mother immediately went back to that interaction that she had remembered from that that uh, afternoon. Which was brief, but creepy. Brief, but memorable. Yeah. About this time, as this horror is sinking in, the father of the household, who was a New York City police officer named Arthur McDonald, arrives home after getting off work. He's still in uniform. He immediately turned heel and went straight back out the door to look for Francis. And before long, the entire police precinct uh, is out there combing the woods through the night trying to find eight-year-old Francis McDonald. They found nothing that night. But at 7.10 p.m. the next evening on Tuesday, July 15th, 1924, three Boy Scouts who had volunteered to help with the search do find Francis. And they get the shock of a lifetime when little scout Harry Henry Wood, one of the little Boy Scouts, literally trips over eight-year-old Francis's now solid corpse. It's laying face down a hundred yards into the woods in a small clearing of tall grass. The piece of the woods where the body was found is now a vape shop called Smoker's Choice. Oh, I knew we'd get there. <laughs> Not where I'd want to work. No, it's probably haunted. Why is it always vape shops? There's a place here in my home, in my town, uh, where a triple murder happened. It's now a vape shop. Yeah, I don't know. There was um, there was a double murder that happened, an axe murder that happened in my town, and um, is it a vape it, shop now? No, they turned it into a Jack in the Box. So there's a correlation for you. Okay, I was kind of come up with something. I just I can't. Was it that. a surprise murder? Yeah, he chased him down the road. And then, oh, so that kind of like a jack do 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 on first observation, when police get there, they can see clearly that the body has been severely beaten and then strangled to death with his own suspenders, which had been pulled so tightly around the little boy's neck that they cut his throat and drew blood. He was wow. naked from the waist down. He had multiple long, deep cuts in both of his legs, and his left hamstring had nearly been torn completely off. As you remember, that's what Albert was trying to get off to eat. Right. On July 16th, an autopsy was performed on the corpse of Francis McDonald at Sylvia's Morgue by Dr. George Mord. And it was then that it was discovered that the little boy had also been brutally raped prior to being killed. And they also found undigested raisins in his stomach, which led the examiner to believe that that's what fish had used to lure him away. Oh, you want some? You want well, this some. is the 20s. Raisins are a treat. Yeah. This isn't today when we have warheads and M&Ms and... Snickers bars and mellows. I want to video myself going to a park and asking kids, hey, you want some raisins? You should be arrested just for asking anybody, adults, anybody, if they want raisins. I think they'll arrest you now. <laughs> I think they'll arrest you if you get arrested, if you get patted down and they find the raisins on your person. <laughs> Traffic. This guy's got to be a perv. <laughs> He's got raisins on him. (laughs) 
when the children that uh, Francis had been uh, playing with were interviewed, they told their story, as did George Stern, who had watched the whole thing happen from his porch. Their descriptions of their description, however, of Albert Fish matched about 20 million people in New York City. <laughs> really? Uh, a few men were suspected of the murder and grilled by police. One guy, a homeless man named John Oskowski, ended up killing himself in the woods after being chased by a mob, and he was terrified of being lynched. Oh, geez. So now this is two deaths, technically, because John Oskowski was just a homeless man, and they just immediately decided that's who did it, and uh, after being chased by the mob, shot himself dead in the woods. Wow. On July 18th, 1924, just four days after his murder, uh, little Francis McDonald was buried at St. Mary's Church in a little white coffin and dressed in his first communion suit. I wonder, I wonder, I've always wondered why, why so many um, Catholic places are named after saints. Like a lot, there are a lot of different saints and I wonder what makes one, I wonder what wonder what makes it so that they're like, nope, this one's going to be St. James. You know, like what, I wonder what it is that makes him choose the saint name for a particular church. I don't know, but I'll convert to Catholicism whenever in my neighborhood they get a St. Keanu Reeves church. They might. You never know. They need, they're going to start, I'll bet you they'll start up in their game and, and uh, beatifying more people Oh, that are like modern. That'd be pretty cool. Just a just a stained glass window with Keanu, two fingers uh, up, two fingers up <laughs> on That'd the front. He's in robes. <laughs> Seriously, if you made a church with Keanu Reeves at the head, or you know, even if he just got on video conference every once in a while, you'd have so many people that would join that. Mister Rogers, a Mister Rogers, Saint Saint Rogers Church. <laughs> St. Ross, a Bob Ross church. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that could be Tell great. me that wouldn't bring people into Catholicism. I'd join. I would. I would. Do you think they had raisins at the 4th of July just before that that uh, that uh, funeral? Because it would have been like 14 days earlier. Do you think raisins were a big, like, do you think they like sold out of raisins? At that, at the Fourth of July. Oh, I hadn't even thought you. So you think Albert just like got a good deal on him? Yeah, like I won. I'll bet you he probably was just sitting at the parade, and the you know they kept chucking raisins off of the. He picked them up off the sidewalk. Yeah, because he noticed all the kids picking. He was like, "This is this is one of their candy treats. We're going crazy for these little dried grapes." Oh man, little white coffin. On the uh, yeah, little white coffin on the uh, on the uh, Saint Keanu's Church and Saint Roger's Church and Saint Ross's Church. Though one of the rules that I would make, if uh-huh. I was building, I would be like, "Listen, if you're going to be a pastor here, you can't molest children." I think that should be. In the I would rules. make that a rule. I would make yeah. that a rule. I think that that would be. A, I think, and a lot of the church members would get behind that. If you're, they don't call them pastors, do they? What is it? Priests. Priests. If you're going to be a priest here, you can't molest the children here. I would yeah. make that a rule there. I think I think that's one of those situations where a couple bad apples, you know, really gives a bad name to the rest of the pool balls in the deck. Yep. Hate that for them. Because I could you imagine being a Catholic priest? They're like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a Catholic priest. 
immediately, you know, non-Catholics are like, ugh. <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> it was such a challenging title for a job. I don't know if I... I would probably front load it with, okay, before I... I've never molested a child. <laughs> you got to give them a couple preliminary statements before you tell them. Uh, and they'll be like, oh, no, this guy works at Subway. Well, it sounds like uh, Francis McDonald was a good Catholic boy, though. He had his first communion. So he was on, a good so little Catholic boy. As far as the um, religion goes, you know, he was lined up for reception into uh, into the heavenless pearly gates. Well, uh, there are a few men suspected of the murder. We'll get more into that in part two. But for now, the trail to catch the killer of little eight-year-old Francis McDonald has went cold. But Albert Fish has gotten a new nickname, the Gray Man. Ooh, ooh, I just hate that name. It's so creepy. Also, I just want you to know, in my script version here, right before that line where you gave that Gray Man part and everything, I wrote in just in big, giant letters, interrupt for as long as you possibly can. <laughs> I knew you had one line left. <laughs> and you pulled it off. You pulled it off. Were you just sitting there going, shut Just up. stewing. Just stewing. <laughs> Face getting hot. I'm going to have to take my blood pressure medication after I leave here. Just stewing. That's so fun. Because <laughs> uh, that's the end of part one, right? That is the end of part one. <laughs> You want to talk more about Catholics? Nope. <laughs> I don't want to talk with you about anything. Okay. All right. I'll call you tomorrow for part two. You're getting do not. It. Don't. I please. will. I love you. I'll call you. I know okay. you do. All right. Call me all the time. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.